We've been going through the lives of the earliest kings of Israel. You remember there was Saul, and then we skipped over, um, actually Samuel, the last judge, then Saul, and then Solomon, and then we're going back over the life of David. And who knows, when we finish David, we may look at some of the later kings. What was David really like? Who was the real David? Sometimes fans wonder about their entertainment idol. What's he really like? When I was a teenager, I really liked Elvis. And I sometimes wondered, what is he really like? Is he like what he's in the movies and singing? In fact, he had an album once entitled The Real Elvis. Well, he was not like what the movies portrayed. Recently, I read the definitive biography of him. He was not a good person. Very selfish, immoral, blasphemous, and he died in shame as a drug addict. It was just terrible. That was the real Elvis, not what you'd see. What was the real David like? People that don't know much about the Bible will think, well, didn't he have that affair with Bathsheba? And they think of that rather than the real David. You don't want people to think about you with your weaknesses. They want to think about, you want them to think about the real you. For example, Lot. If you just look in Genesis, you see him living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and then what happened with his daughters, and he was reluctant to leave. New Testament calls him righteous Lot, whose soul was grieved and vexed by this, as that was the real Lot. It's been said that each one of us is three persons. Number one, who we pretend to be to others. Number two, what we think we are. And number three, what we really are as God sees us. That's who we really are. Thomas Manton, the great Puritan, said this, What a man is when he is alone with God, that is what he is and nothing more. What's the real you? Now, a Christian has much in common with David. So when we look at him, we're kind of looking in a mirror. We may not have done some of his sins, and we certainly aren't kings, but uh, he was a Christian, and so were we, and we can take encouragement from studying him. Now, we're not going to be looking at any one verse or chapter. We're going to kind of bounce around as we uh, peel back the layers and see the real David. He's always been one of my favorite in the Bible. New Testament, I guess, Paul, the Old Testament, David. Always liked David. Man's man, but a tender heart. He could sing, he could weep, he could fight. What was his secret? And if you were to ask him, what do you really like? Or if you were to ask his guardian angel, look, you've seen him in all such, what's he really like? What about his thoughts? Well, we'll find out as we look at a couple of things in First and Second Samuel and the Psalms. And I'll concentrate on three great qualities that give us the key to the real David. But first, let me set, a, set the stage by reminding us of some of his weaknesses. Uh, David was not what some people think. They said, well, he was a shepherd just kind of lounging around on a hill looking out at the sheep. No, a shepherd, that was hard, dirty work. He was also a musician, but people say he was, he was the runt of the family, so he was kind of the wimp. He was no wimp. He was a soldier that learned how to kill with a sword or a spear. Very brave. He was the only one that went out against Goliath, so he was very brave. But uh, deeper still was the real David. 
It's like, what was the real Moses like? Well, if you see the old movie, Ten Commandments, you remember there was virile, brave Charlton Heston playing him. That wasn't the real Moses. Moses in the Old Testament says he was the meekest person on earth. That doesn't mean he was a timid milk toast. It meant that he had everything under control. He was not super macho, you know, like that. No, the real Moses. What was the real Jesus like? If you're a Christian, you know him. Go deeper into the knowledge of him. But what about us, the real us? We're not always the way we appear to others. We wear masks, such as when we come to church, we cover it up. And of course, there's a lot of things in us we don't people want to know. I've learned to some degree, don't just look on the outside. You remember the Bible said concerning David, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Learn to look deeper into a person's heart insofar as you're able. For example, some people appear very rough, but deep down they're very tender. Um, and then other people, it's the other way around. You've heard the analogy, an iron fist in a velvet glove. Um, don't judge by outward appearances or behavior alone. I've learned that, for example, ministering to prison inmates. Um, one of the ones that became a Christian said, the toughest guys here, they're the meanest. Deep down, they're scared and they're very insecure, but they dare not say it to people. Don't judge by outward appearances. But David wasn't perfect. He wasn't Saint David, the great saint, half God, like the Catholic Church would make him. Um, otherwise, he'd be some unattainable example, but he's like Elijah, and it says he was a man of like passions and weaknesses as us. He had weaknesses. I mean, what he did with Bathsheba, had Uriah killed, and um, remember that incident? He almost killed that man without any just cause, and he had multiple wives, so he had weaknesses, and the Bible paints him like that. One of the greatest Englishmen of all times was the great Oliver Cromwell, who was a Puritan, and they offered him the, the crown of England when they overthrew the king, and he says no, so they made him Lord Protector, but he had a famous painting made of him, and the first draft of it made him look, you know, almost like an angel, and he says, that's not the real me. Paint me warts and all, because he had big warts on his face. Well, the Bible paints David warts and all, as well as Moses, who had killed, and Abraham, who lied, and Peter, that denied Jesus, and so do we. This doesn't make David a hypocrite. It just simply says he's human. We are human. Even as Christians, we still sin. We make mistakes. You may wonder, well, how could David, such a godly person, do such evil? Well, look in the mirror. Why do we still sin? Because we still have sin in us. We're not yet made perfect. That'll be in heaven. Only Jesus has been absolutely perfect. However, there are religious hypocrites that it's kind of in reverse. They pretend to be so good, but deep down, as Jesus said, it's like filled with dead men's bones. Uh, they have phony lives. They are the, you peel away the layers and you see that it's rotten on the inside, no matter what it is on the outside. But not with David. You peel away the bad things on the outside, you find a man after God's own heart. He really did love God. So <coughs> with David, we'll look at much good and some bad 
And the same thing with us. You know, the Bible encourages us to examine ourselves <coughs> in the light of God's word. Excuse me, got a little tickle in my throat tonight. Okay, so let's look at David's three greatest features that tell us the real David and his heart. Number one, David trusted God. You read the Psalms and you find verses like this. Quote, I have trusted in you, O Lord. My soul trusts in you. In you I put my trust. O my God, I trust in you. And he's not just saying, I believe that you exist. There's a difference between that kind of faith and trust where you rely on God implicitly. And that's also implied when Jesus, uh, Jesus, David said things like, the Lord is my strength, my rock, my fortress. He's saying, I'm trusting in God alone. And you remember some of those times he was on the run from Saul and then from Absalom. And that's when he wrote some of the great Psalms saying, I trust in you. I've got nowhere else to turn. He turned to God for help, not self-help. And so there's an example for us. Trust puts a person in touch with God's strength and mercy, like the old spiritual, where could I go but to the Lord? David did, and so should we. He committed himself to God. We also see where he committed his enemies to God. Uh, he didn't get vengeance on Saul. He said, God will take care of this man, and he did. Same thing with Absalom and Naboth and these other ones. And there's an example for us, his patient trusting in God. David also showed his trust by praying. And of course, so many of the Psalms are his prayers put to music. Now there's a difference. Notice I said his praying. There's a difference between praying and saying prayers. Some people can get very eloquent saying prayers, but they're not really praying. They're repeating something out of a prayer book. But some of the best prayers I've heard are not eloquent, but they're deep from within the heart. And that tells us about David. He really prayed. He knew how to get a hold of God. Some of his prayers, he's literally begging God, pleading with him, crying out to God. And you'll notice his prayers are addressing God in the proper way. Uh, God, Father, and so forth. He never prays to the man upstairs. You know, I wince when I hear people say that. Um, or he, David didn't say, God, if there is a God, or God, if you can hear me, no, he knew God was there. And so he built upon his knowledge of God to trust in God when he came in prayer. So there's another example for us. When we go to God, trust in God. He really does hear you. Especially some of these Psalms where David just pours out his hearts, uses the phrase, from the depths I cried out to you. I read that in my devotions recently. And David was a man like us. Often his prayers, he was weeping. He says, I flooded my bed with my tears night and day. And yet he still went to God. We should go to God with our tears and our broken heart like David. So he's a good example. Here's another principle. What a, what a person cries out to when he is at his lowest is a mark of who he really is and what he depends upon. Non-Christian, they don't know God, so they don't turn to God. Where do they turn to? Liquor, drugs, immorality, bad temper, whatever. Not David. So we should be like David in this, and that shows us what the real David was like. And yet David sometimes had weak faith. You remember that man that came to Jesus and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Nobody has perfect faith, not even 
David. Uh, Abraham is called a man of faith, but he actually doubted on occasion. David was brave, but uh, nobody has been perfectly brave, just like nobody has perfect faith. He went out against Goliath, but on other times he was afraid. You remember once he went and hid out amongst the Philistines and pretended to be crazy. He was scared. And yet there were times, like going against Goliath, he was scared, but he went and did it anyway. That's true courage. True courage isn't bravado rushing in almost like a suicide mission. Um, let me give it to you in the words of a very famous cowboy named John Wayne, who said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. I like that. So that's what David was. I'm sure when he went against Goliath, he probably wondered, what in the world am I doing out here? He's going to rip me to pieces, but he went out there and did it anyway. That tells you about the character of David. For us, a person with faith is not someone that never has doubts, but someone that trusts in God in spite of his doubts. And we find that about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. Brethren, there always comes a time in our life with some challenge, some problem, where we search the Bible, we pray to find out God's word, and it always comes to the point where God says, I'm not going to tell you anymore, just trust me. That's part of what the book of Job is all about. God never told him the final answer. He didn't have the book of Job, it hadn't been written yet. And he didn't know about Satan going before God and accusing him, no. And God didn't answer all of his questions, and the book ends where he just says, you know, I submit to you, Lord. He trusted God anyway. And that's what David did, and that's what we should do. Sometimes just childlike faith. God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you anyway. Faith is sometimes digging in your heels and standing firm, but other times, as some of you know, it's not only hanging on by your fingers, you're hang, hanging on by your fingernails. Lord, if you let go, I'm really undone. And we find that in David's prayers in the Psalms, saying, Lord, I can only trust in you. So this is the first key to what made David tick. And if we miss that, you don't really know the real David. David didn't become like that overnight. He trusted God as a boy and he continued to trust God through all these afflictions and challenges, when his family turned against him, he, he, he fell into sin with Bathsheba and other such things, but he just kept on trusting God. I like the verse that says, but David went on and on. He didn't give up. Neither should we. The Bible says that Christian life is like a race. Yes, we're going to trip and stumble. There are roadblocks that the devil throws our way, but need to get up and keep running that race set before us. I like that scene in one of my all-time favorite movies. Anybody ever seen Chariots of Fire? Good story, true story. And you remember when Eric Little was out there running at some meet and everybody's cheering and the other guy kind of trips him in the race and he falls down and everybody kind of says, oh, but he didn't stay down. He got up and, and doubled the energy and ended up winning the race. And then he collapses at the end. He didn't give up. Neither did David, so should we. He didn't give up after his affair with Bathsheba. He didn't say, well, I'm, I'm done. I'll just, you know, give up. He didn't. He got God's forgiveness. He was reconciled to God. He got up and continued the race. So there's our first point. David trusted God. 
Second key thing about the real David is David worshipped God. Just read the Psalms. Virtually all of them have words like, I praise you, O Lord. I worship you, my God. I thank you. So he exalted God. He magnified him. He exalted in God. How? Well, just read the Psalms vigorously, joyfully, humbly, triumphantly, gratefully, sincerely, and truly. He wasn't a hypocrite. He praised God and he meant it. Do we mean it when we sing a hymn? When we pray and say, thank you, Lord. Are we just mumbling the words? Be like David. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Same thing applies, by the way, when we sing. Here's the secret. You can learn a lot about a person by listening to his prayers. Parents, <laughs> remember that when you teach your children how to pray. Listen closely to how they pray as well as what they say. And I like to listen to people, such as in our prayer meeting and other times. Listen to their prayers. That tells you a lot about them. You'll learn a lot about David by reading the Psalms, which were prayers set to music. But it wasn't just his prayers. It was his praise. Some Christians, you can listen to them for a whole hour praying, but there's not a word of praise or thanksgiving or worship. I like to say that we hit the low notes on the piano of prayer with confession and then build up by praying to, uh, for other people and ourselves. And then we hit the high notes and the crashing cymbals by praising God. David did frequently. Uh, some people pray, but they never confess their sins, let alone know how to hit the high notes and worship God. David worshiped also with meditation. Now that's not transcendental meditation. Read the Psalms. He often says things like, I meditate upon you in the night watches. What's that? Night watches would be like that soldier on watch at two in the morning till dawn. And uh, have you ever been like that at night? Happened to me recently. I couldn't sleep. And I just laid in bed thinking about God. And I'd hear maybe a truck on the highway five miles away or a bird or something like that. The night watches. And David did that. He meditated upon God. He remembered God's promises. Also, like Psalm 19 and Psalm 23, David learned how to look at nature and see the fingerprints of God, and he had meditated upon that. You know, when I was young, uh, my father had a little interesting, I don't know, habit. Uh, he'd see something, some gizmo, and he'd say, you know, he'd trained to be an engineer. He said, somebody had to invent this. They saw a need, and he said, how'd that happen? David uh, would see things in nature and say, God made that. Why? Why did he do it like this? By the way, Jonathan Edwards also did that when he went out into the woods and meditated. So we can learn from David. Look around at God's creation and say, God made that for a purpose. It displays something about him. And that should lead you to meditate on God and worship him. Also, David sometimes says that not just singing, but he'd worship and pray in silence. There's a, a supreme value in silent prayer. One of my favorite writers, A.W. Tozer, often said he had spent hours literally on his face on the floor just silently praying before God with a holy awe and reverence. And we see David doing that at times. And again, that's the real David. Now, the Psalms were not all written by David. David wrote a little more than half of them. Some were anonymous. Moses wrote one. Solomon wrote at least one. And then the sons of Asaph. But 
at least half were written by David, and they're mainly filled with worship. And that's what our hymns should be like. Some are what you call wisdom instruction or even warnings or imprecations, you know, God punish your enemies. Other ones, David is deeply rumbling out of worry or fear or doubt, and that's where he waters his psalms with his tears. But you'll notice over and over again, in any of these, he takes the wings of prayer and becomes praise. Even in those ones when he was in deep depression, like Psalm 42, and he says, but I will hope in you, O Lord. He'll still turn back to God, even in the rough times. Now, let me show you a Bible verse on this. Turn to 2 Samuel 15, verse 32. For example, remember a few weeks ago, we looked at what happened after David did adultery and after he was restored, whatever happened to that baby where the baby died? And what happened? Second Samuel 12, 20, it says, then David worshiped. We can worship even in the lowest part of the valley of grief. And then when David was on the run from Absalom and he was barefoot and weeping and afraid, but look at Second Samuel 15, 32, Excuse me, I got the wrong page here. It says, now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God. There was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him and with his robe torn and dust on his head. So David's on the run here. But it said that he worshiped God. Now he was on the run, afraid for his very life. Remember once he said, there's but a step between me and death. Sometimes a Christian is like that in bad times. Uh, now it says he was on the mountain, but let's change the metaphor. The Bible sometimes talks about us on a mountaintop experience. You feel so close to God. Your real character comes out in the valley of affliction or the desert of dry times. And to worship God then takes more faith. That's the mark of a real Christian where he says, I'm going to worship God anyway, even if I don't feel like it. Like when you come to church after having a bad day at work or in the family all week, or you're not feeling well, or something in the preacher's sermon isn't what you wanted and he stepped on your toes, worship God anyway, David would. You remember uh, after Nathan rebuked him, he didn't say, hey, come and cut this man's head off. No, he, he bowed, he repented, and he worshiped. Good example. So David worshiped alone, but he also worshiped with others. Some of his psalms are in the first person singular, I, me, mine. Other ones are in the plural, we, us. And there's an example for us. We should worship um, individually, but also in the house of the Lord. That was our opening scripture reading this morning, in the assembly of God's people. And God accepts no cheap excuses for being away from God's people. Sometimes we have a legitimate excuse, but a lot of them are just cheap excuses. David, when he was on the run, several times he says, I long to be back in the tabernacle with God's people singing the praises. I wonder how many of us feel like that when we just sleep in a little bit too late on Sunday morning. And that's not a legitimate excuse. We're just too lazy and God doesn't accept that. David wasn't like that. He longed to be with God's people. Do you miss being in church when you're at home or traveling or something like that, we should be like David. So that's the second key that tells us about the real David. Now let's come to the most important thing of all. What's the deepest part of David? 
What's he really like? You know, various people in the Bible are singled out for one great quality. You ever do a study on that? Um, Abraham, faith. Elijah, courage, when he had all the false prophets against him. Moses, meekness. Solomon, wisdom. What about David? I nominate love as the key ingredient in David's character. This is what made him tick. This was the secret of his life. In spite of everything else, he says, I still trust God. I still worship him. Why? Because I love God. And if you miss that, you don't know the real David or or yourself. For example, Psalm 116.1, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication. Psalm 18.1, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. He was not afraid to say, I love you, Lord, I really do. Remember, great love commandment, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. David did. So David's psalms were not only his concerts of worship, but his love songs to God. And even when the word love isn't there, it's still flavored. All of his songs were in the key of love for God. And you know that I've often preached on that. Uh, Without love, we're nothing. And even our faith is not much if we don't turn faith into love for God. So um, now look at David's psalms where he says, I love you, O Lord. I like to ask people, what is your favorite hymn and why? And not just the tune. Some people like a song because of the tune. It's either very bouncy or schmaltzy and they like it. But we don't know the tunes of David's songs, but we know the words. And uh, the words are more important than the tunes. Song leaders take note of that. Some songs are hard to sing, but it's the words that are more important. So we learn from David's songs, they're very personal, even intimate. He's opening up his heart. I wonder what that was like where he wrote this psalm. And they, I wonder if the song leader said, David, isn't this a little bit too personal? No. The Holy Spirit inspired me to write that. So thank God for that. And our prayer should be very intimate with God. That's why that verse I just read, David said, I love you, O Lord. Notice the personal pronouns. I love you, O Lord. Just like a man or woman, I love you and I love you too. Let me throw in this note. Um, David loved God because he knew God. You can't love someone you don't know. Yes, I know there are teenage girls that think, oh, they love, like they loved Elvis, but they didn't know him. They never met him. If they had showed up at the gates of Graceland, they would have chased him away. But people say, oh, I know him. But no, you can't uh, love someone unless you really know him. And that's why people don't really love God because they don't know God. But once you know God, you will truly love God. So here's what we see in David. And it got deeper and deeper. And I'm sure there are depths of his love that he did not record, just like in our lives. And he expressed it in various ways. For example, one of his uh, psalms says, how I, Oh, how I love your law. You love God, you're going to love his law. You can't say, well, I love you, but I don't care about those Ten Commandments. No, Um and some people don't seem to love God's law. They just kind of, they miss that. But that proves that how shallow their love or knowledge of God really is. Love God, love his law. Also love his word. And we find that, say, in Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. I love your law. I love your word. I've trusted in that. 
go a little deeper on God, on David's love for God. He loved God for what God did for him because we see that. I love you because you have heard my prayer and my groanings. But other times we see David loving God for what he is in himself. Vic, the old timers would say, that'll preach. Yes, it's good to say, Lord, thank you for this and I worship you for doing this. Why don't we just meditate on God and say, God, I love you and I worship you for what you are. You're faithful, you're loving, you're true, you're magnificent, you're infinite. Just like Psalm 19, David meditated on God's glory and creation and turned that into worship. And so often you find this in David's Psalms where he's worshiping God while meditating on one attribute in particular. And it may be his holiness, his power, his wisdom, his mercy, his glory, his majesty. Example for us. We should pray like the Psalms. So here's an encouragement for you. Take one of God's glorious attributes. In the lobby, we have a list of 50 of them on a handout. Take just one, meditate upon that, and use that as an opportunity to lovingly worship God in that one area. And when David did, he found himself just exploding in an anthem of worship. And that should be the case with us too. Or sometimes just silently uh, in a holy attitude before God. He adored God. And the deeper he knew God, the more he loved God. Because the two go together. How deep is your love for God? How high is your worship of God? Be like David. David almost seemed to love God most when he was in deepest troubles. And I wonder if you've learned that. Very important spiritual principle of loving God with tears when you're in great agony and everything going against you. That's real love. It's like David saying, Lord, everything's going against me, but I still love you, Lord. That's the real David. May that be true of us as well. That's part of his secret. Um, it's kind of like the old idea. Uh, you take a compass, you flip it around, roll it on the ground, and it'll always go back to pointing north. David's life was being bounced all around, but it always came back to loving God. It should be like that in our lives. Because sometimes we're like that compass being bounced all around, but the uh, needle of our heart should always go right back to God. Yes, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith grows into worship and love, which is the greatest of Christian virtues. We're, you know that we're saved to serve, we're saved to worship, but we're also saved to love. Why did God create us, redeem us, elect us? To make us lovers of God. That's his first and greatest commandment, and that's what we see in the heart of David. Sometimes it cools off like it did with David, some of his psalms, he's basically crying out, where are you, Lord? I don't sense you. We've been like that. But with David, it flames up again. And same thing with us. He says, I will still hope in you. So brethren, don't give up in the bad times. Just keep following God. And this is what I suggest to you is the key characteristic of the real David. Let's conclude. Can you identify with David? Did I say anything tonight that finds an echo in your heart? A Christian will see some resemblance. As I said, it's like looking in a mirror. And so we take great encouragement from these three keys as to the real David. 
Just like when we study Elijah's courage, that gives us courage. Um, David's courage, Solomon's wisdom, Abraham's faith. God gives these examples for us to follow and they shouldn't be like, oh, I could never be like that. No, they're given to us as examples to emulate and imitate. Because we have the same God as David did. So we need to trust God, worship God, and love him. But notice something in each of these three keys where David says, I trust not just the Lord, I trust you, O Lord. I worship you, I love you. It's to be a personal relationship uh, uh, with, with our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, for David, God wasn't just another part of his life. It was his life. It was the center, it was the circumference. Uh, he was a God-intoxicated man. He was God-obsessed. What if an angel was given um, a task from God to come and peel back the layers of your heart? What would that angel see in you? Not just the outward appearance or the words, but the inclinations and affections of your heart. Would he find trust and worship and love for God? And of course, there are people that don't have any of those that prove that they don't know God. But a true Christian does know God like David and we want to know him more. Didn't we just sing a song, you know, for grace to love you more, serve you more, better? But the first key is faith, as we said. A person can't love God until he first trusts in God for salvation and then he builds upon that. That means surrender entirely to God like David did. And then continue to trust him. What's on him? Where he leads me, I will follow. And if you follow Jesus like David did, you'll find yourself worshiping God like David did, trusting God like David did, and loving God like David did. And that concludes our study on the real David tonight. Let's pray and then we'll sing again. Father, help us to be like David. Let's avoid his weaknesses. Help us to follow his good example when he trusted, when he worshiped, and when he loved you so that others will see our example and follow us to the degree to which we follow Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.